Our first reading tonight is Matthew 5, 1 to 12, the Beatitudes, or as Billy Graham referred to, the beautiful attitudes. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last July, Richard and I decided to go on a holiday with some friends. So we looked online and we found a reasonably priced cottage. It looked really nice and it was in Scotland. And it was by the sea. What more could you want? Actually, it probably wasn't by the sea, but there was a big river. It was near water, right? (laughs) And um, we got a cracking deal on it and it was brilliant. But I have a piece of advice. When you're deciding to go on holiday, check out what there is to do. Because when we got there, there was absolutely nothing. (laughs) It took us about half a day to see everything that there was. And by half a day, I mean about two hours. And there was just nothing there to do. There was a little museum. We checked that out. There were a few shops, and they had not very much in them. And so we resorted to driving to the nearest towns, most of which had shops that were shut. And it was a bit of a bit of a disappointment. And Carlisle was the nearest place that we could find anything to do. So, yeah, it was a, a learning experience. But even as four adults, we decided to go to a place called Dino World, right? <laughs> That's how desperate this was. And even after that, we decided that, you know what, we had about four days left. We'd done everything there was to do. So we had to try and liven things up a bit ourselves. So anyway, my friend Peter is game for a dare. So we dared him to do anything and everything. And we had lots of fun. Now, I would tell you what I dared him to do, what we dared him to do. That's collective responsibility. But... <laughs> but um, but we've not got all day, and um, yeah, it's probably not a good thing. But we had lots of fun doing lots of dares, and the thing is, I love a good dare, don't you? Do you? <laughs> good. <laughs> the dictionary definition of a dare is to be courageous or bold enough to try or to do something, and for tonight. I've got a dare for us all, myself included. My dare is 
that I dare you to live out the Beatitudes. First of all, I dare you to live out the first one and be poor in spirit, or at least acknowledge that you're poor in spirit. You see, being poor in spirit is a good thing, because if you're the opposite to that, if you see yourself as wealthy in spirit, as it were, then that would mean that we're a bit full of ourselves, keen to show just how much we know and how capable of doing things we are. We'd easily become busy doing too many things, and there'd be no room for God to work in our lives. Blessed, then, are the poor in spirit, people who are not so full of themselves, people who lead lives that are open and available for God to work in them. You see, when you're poor of spirit, it means you're free of clutter. It means you recognise the need for God in your life. The poor in those times, as in any, were those who had few possessions, who were oppressed, and who had little power and pretty much no hope. They had nothing to fall back on. They had to depend on other people for survival. And people who were poor in spirit have to depend on God for their survival. They know they've got nothing to contribute to receiving the kingdom of God, and instead they come to God knowing that they are helpless and hopeless sinners. They're totally void of self-sufficiency, have no pretense, and are ready and willing for God to make a change in their lives and ready to live totally for him. They know that they cannot save themselves, and it's only God that does the saving. And it's on him that they have to depend. Blessed then are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who submit to God, who put their trust in God, who have confidence in God, who are not controlled by their worldly needs or demands of time or whatever. Blessed are those who are ready to trust that God knows and supplies every single one of our needs. So the first way we can dare to live the Beatitudes is to acknowledge that we are poor in spirit. Acknowledge that we bring nothing of our own power, our own merit, or anything to enter the kingdom of God. And that's a daring thing to do, because it means admitting that we can't do everything ourselves. We need to humble ourselves before God to know that we truly need God in every part of our lives. So my first dare is to live out that first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, I dare you to allow yourselves to mourn. Here, the person that mourns is the one who becomes poor in spirit and repents. It's not necessarily talking about mourning over the death of somebody. It's talking about recognising that we are sinners and understanding how much our sins hurt God and sometimes hurt others. None of us can mourn like this unless we have the Holy Spirit within us because it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of the stuff that we've done wrong. When we sin, we bring dishonour on God's name and we shouldn't allow ourselves to do stuff wrong and then take forgiveness for granted. We should mourn because we've not fulfilled our call to be faithful to God's plan in our lives. We need to admit our failings the times we've messed up and recognise that we are broken people who've moved away from Jesus because of some of the things we do and say. But by mourning for our failings, 
were forgiven and were comforted. And that's a daring thing to do because it means being willing to admit that our lives aren't as perfect as we might try and make them seem. There are things in this world that we need to mourn over, things in our own lives that we need to mourn over. And to do that is no easy task because we need to admit that we need to change. So I dare you to live out the Beatitudes and allow yourself to mourn. Thirdly, I dare you to be meek. Here, the meek are those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control. They're free from malice and they don't exploit or oppress other people. They don't try and seize power for themselves. That doesn't mean that we need to be weak or that we need to allow people to walk all over us. You can be gentle and humble and still stand up against things that are wrong. We need to try and live like Jesus lived. The Greek word for meek was used to refer to to domesticated animals. It doesn't refer to a wild, um, disobedient animal. It refers to a strong and powerful horse or ox that was trained and can be disciplined. So when we hear the word meek, it refers to a strong person who is under God's control. Someone who put God in charge of every single aspect of our lives, especially in their soul and spirit. And meekness is more than skin deep. It doesn't mean we become weak. A meek or humble person cannot be walked over, but can be bold. A.W. Tozer once wrote, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be, in his moral life, as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than the angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. So how do we become meek? if we're not naturally meek by nature. Well, meekness and gentleness and goodness are part of the fruits of the Spirit and they're produced in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So to become meek, we must walk in the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit of God so that the qualities of Christ can be produced in and through us. So I dare you to become meek, for the meek will inherit the earth. Fourthly, I dare you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst lead to dependence on God, and God promises that there'll always be enough for everyone. That's justice, that's fairness, that's righteousness. It means we're concerned about the welfare of others, seek out what's honest, stand firm, receive peace and joy, and be rewarded by God for those things. But what does it mean to truly hunger and thirst for it? In the Antarctic summer of 1908 to 19 or 1909-ish, Sir Ernest Shackleton and three companions attempted to travel to the South Pole for their winter quarters. They set off with four ponies to help carry the load. Weeks later, the ponies were dead. Rations all but exhausted. They turned back towards their base, their goal not accomplished. Altogether, they trekked for 127 days, 
And on the return journey, as Shackleton records in the heart of the Antarctic, the time was spent talking about food. Elaborate feasts, gourmet delights, sumptuous menus. And as they staggered along, suffering from all sorts of illnesses, not knowing whether they would survive, every waking hour was occupied with thoughts of eating. Jesus also knew the ravages of food deprivation, said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can understand Shackleton's obsession with food, and it's that kind of hunger and that kind of thirst which offers us a glimpse of the passion Jesus intends for our quest for righteousness. We must do our best to want what is right for ourselves and other people and seek that kind of righteousness with that degree of passion. And God will make sure we are satisfied. So I dare you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Next, I dare you to be merciful. It's not a, a, a nearly said popular, but not a sort of, people in the world don't want to seem to be merciful. But mercy is love towards those that need some sort of support or forgiveness. And of course, God shows us mercy. We need his mercy and we need it time and time again because we're not perfect and we always mess up. And if God's willing to be merciful to us when we don't deserve it, which is kind of why it's called mercy in the first place, if he's willing to show us mercy, then we should show that mercy to others. Mercy is a sign of living in God's kingdom because we're asking God to be who he is despite of who we are. God's merciful and shows us mercy, and we should do the same to others. At the same time, God's mercy is also passionate. If we don't show mercy, if we're indifferent when we see acts of injustice taking place, then we're not living out the kingdom of God as we should do. We're not reflecting God's image to the world around us. People who know more of God's mercy will be merciful. It's important then that we have an understanding of God's mercy in our own lives. So I dare you to be merciful, to act when you see injustice, to make a difference to the world around you by reflecting God's image to the world. Next, I dare you to become pure in heart. The Beatitude tells us that if we're pure in heart, then we will see God. That means we'll see God in heaven, but it also means that we'll see and experience him now. Purity of heart is achieved by learning what really matters, not being controlled by the cares of this world, not remaining on the surface level of life, not seeking instant results, not avoiding painful struggle. It's about learning what to really care for. It's taking the time and the space to be still in order to hear God, And then our heart becomes pure and we become better disposed to see God. So purity of heart implies a process of getting rid of everything on the surface. It's an invitation to a greater depth. It's making choices about things, about people, about God. Then we value and desire not what we want but what we need. And gradually we become, well we come to value and desire only what God wants. When that happens, we become to understand, or we begin to understand, what blocks our vision of God, what separates us from him. 
We learn to see the world with new eyes and see things as God sees things. So I dare you to be pure in heart because then we will see God. And don't worry, there's just two more. I dare you to be peacemakers. Being a peacemaker is not the same as being a peacekeeper. Making peace doesn't mean that you've got to try and keep everybody happy because if you've ever tried to keep everybody happy, you'll know that's never going to happen. A peacemaker doesn't say yes to everybody and everything. A peacemaker builds their character on truth and righteousness. We can create true peace if we're at true peace with God. And peacemakers are those who try and make peace even if they fail. Peacekeepers, on the other hand, try and keep people happy whatever the cost, even if that means going against what God wants. The world is full of peacekeepers. People who blend in with society and watch acts of injustice and do nothing because they don't want to rock the boat. Peacekeepers is thankfully not what we need to be. We need to be different and make the peace instead. And that means living in harmony and encouraging each other with our walk in our walk with God. Peacemaking means building community and encouraging each other and recognising that everyone is precious in the eyes of God. When Jesus was asked about greatness, he called a young child over and he told the crowd that they had to change and become like little children to enter the kingdom of God. This was a radical thing to do because children were of little value and had no access to necessary resources for basic survival. By their age, as well as by law, they were separated off from the rest of society. In order then to be a peacemaker, in order to be called a child of God, where to give way, to defer to others out of reverence for the rights of others. As followers of Jesus, we should be promoting peace. And we can do that by spreading the gospel of peace to those around us. In other words, by living as Jesus did. We need to work to make peace. Peace in our world, peace in our homes, peace wherever we find ourselves. And then we'll be called children of God. So I dare you to be peacemakers. And finally, I dare you to step out and not be afraid to be persecuted because of your faith. I'm not saying you should go looking for trouble. But when we do all of those other things, chances are people will want to make our lives a little bit more difficult. But the Bible tells us that blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely slay all kinds of evil against you because of him. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. As Christians, we want to live like Jesus. We want to live like Jesus and become like him in every way. The Bible tells us that when we live godly lives, then chances are we'll suffer for it. Because by living righteously, we distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world and make known that we belong to God. Daring to live out the Beatitudes means resisting, sometimes even reversing, the ways of the world. And however hard that is, we need to be working for righteousness and justice, showing mercy, remaining meek and poor in spirit, all the things that the Beatitudes praise. But genuine righteousness is offensive to many, so we should be prepared for opposition. But maybe 
that last beatitude is to show us, maybe it is last, to show us something powerful. This beatitude is more than a conclusion. It's a clear commission, an explicit command for the disciples to enter the world of their day, to assume the problems of their time, to bring God's care to the world no matter what the cost, irrespective of the risk or pain. And the final beatitude changes and becomes a direct invitation, a personal blessing, an assurance and a promise. We must persist in responding to the poor, in striving to share the resources of the world, in trying to heal a broken community. This is the way that we shall inherit the heavenly kingdom. And so, I dare you to live out the beatitudes in your everyday life. And it's a dare because, like I said right at the start, a dare is to be bold or courageous enough to do something. And to live according to those attitudes require boldness and courage. This is a dare to put God first, make his priorities your priorities. And when you live that way, God is revealed, God is made known, and God is at work in and through us. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you will take hold of every part of our life. We ask that you will fill us with your spirit and send us into your world as examples of your grace and witnesses to your love. Amen.